Ever wanted kids? Sure. But I've learned not to think about it. Do you think an old queen's capable of raising a child? Well, Elizabeth did a pretty good job. Prince Charles is a wonderful boy. Edward's still a bit of a worry. What happens if they turn out like Adam? You stuff them back in and ask for a refund. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid little shit. I dread to think what he's up to. Welcome to part two of our Priscilla Queen of the Desert episode. This is Real Talk. But before we get to Real Talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let patrons know what they can expect on our patron-exclusive feed and also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Uh, Alex, we are closing down March. That means that uh, we watched yet another movie that's just for the patrons. Uh, the the patron demanded Aniara. We had a fascinating discussion about this movie, uh, courtesy True. of uh, patron Jordan Mann's we also have uh, QVRs for Pig on Alex's side and for Titan on my side. Uh, those are yet to be recorded, but uh, be on the lookout for those. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know we're, we're talking about patrons, and a patron is responsible for this episode for uh, Priscilla, right. Queen of the Desert. That was patron Ryan who said, uh, here, here it is. This, If this doesn't turn you into an Australian cinema fan, then nothing will. Uh, so, so stick around to see if he, if the mission has been accomplished or not. Uh, additionally, uh, we have posted the commentaries for uh, two very important matches, wrestling <laughs> matches, where Alex held my hand as I watched uh, The Rock fight Triple H, and I watched John Cena almost murder a guy on the... <laughs> the Samoan bulldozer Umaga. <laughs> yes. Uh, very... Very important uh, landmarks in my life now. (laughs) We also released an episode uh, where we recounted, went through the entire filmography of uh, WWE Studios. I always forget. Films or studios? Which one is it? I do too. It's either it it started as one and now it's the other, but just uh, movies from the WWE's film studio. Mm -hmm. Uh, A fascinating discussion and a very interesting deep dive into those uh, f- for past 15 years, almost 20 years now. It's it's movies that you would never see at the Oscars, but movies that also star Oscar winners. Yes. It's, it's just, it's mind boggling. Um, those are like a little like side shoots, digressions from our big rock Cena uh, arc, the, the miniseries that Alex has planned for us. So we have part three coming up soon. That's the, the CM Punk chapter. So stay tuned for yes. that, patrons. Uh, well, actually, that one is going to be for patrons and non-patrons. It's going to be our, our little uh, bonus for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have uh, Contrarians After Hours. The spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we watched, that we played, that we read, that we listened to. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Uh, we've been recording pretty quickly back to back so i haven't really watched much i reckon by the time we record actually record after hours will be after my trip this weekend so i look forward to coming to you in the future regaling you tales of my past (laughs) trip (laughs) 
Now, it's WrestleMania week, and I'm going to Dallas this weekend for a few days to see some wrestling. So, But not WrestleMania. Correct. And I'll explain why to all you patrons if you care to find out. Uh, but no, I'm pretty excited for what uh, what I'll be seeing. And yeah, once we actually end up recording the uh, After Hours segment for this, I'll hopefully have plenty of stories to tell. Uh, well, on my end, Alex, uh, we we made like we had a little bit of an Oscars opening during Constraints Corner, and I think that's about as much Oscars discussion <laughs> that our listeners, patrons or not, are gonna get from us. Because uh, yeah. honestly, that's as, as far as the ceremony itself, we're not gonna even try to be uh, funnier than the people that are making memes on Twitter. But what I can tell you is that slightly Oscars related, uh, you know, I, I've been doing this where I've been telling you about uh, Oscar nominated movies that I watched. And this mm-hmm. time I'm going to tell you about Drive My Car, which actually won Best International Feature. Uh, and also we'll tell you about Belfast, which won Best Original Screenplay. Belfast is the sort of autobiographical movie from Kenneth Branagh and Drive My Car is the <laughs> the three hour long Oscar nominee that I brought up more than once probably not when we were recording but uh, several times over the past few weeks because it was the one that I was kind of dreading having to watch and uh, what do you know Alex spoiler for After Hours but it, it's really good you barely feel those three hours fly by um, that one was uh, directed by Rusuke Hamaguchi and if you watch the Oscars, then you you saw him get up there and uh, give a, a pretty cool speech. So, drive my car, Belfast, Alex's wild WrestleMania 2022 weekend. That's what you can expect on our after hours. <laughs> um, if any of that sounded interesting, you need to go to patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Look at our tiers and join the contrarian supplements like our two most recent patrons. Uh, we usually announce one at a time, but this time we have two. Uh, and one of them is a very familiar name. Alex, uh, Zoe Perez has become a patron, um, which is, in a way, uh, I guess, a vote of confidence on our content because mm-hmm. she gets access to it for free. <laughs> you know, she, she, she helps... Uh, she's even helped me edit a couple of like the patron things uh, recently. So it's not like she needs to to pay to get access to the files. She already has access to the files. But I think that she just, I, I'm assuming, she just feels that... Uh, she wants it twice over. Yeah, I think she wants to, you know, give us some QVRs. Get, she wants, uh, who knows what movie she has in mind for, for the patron exclusive, but she... She wants to. She wants to be part of the game. So even more so than she is right now. <laughs> so I'm Zoe, I'm not going to question the strategy. It's just Zoe. She knows what some of y'all need to learn. It's that the content is there and it needs to be digested. You need it. <laughs> we give you what you need. But yeah, that was that was a nice surprise. Uh, and then also welcome to another uh, new patron, Taylor Martin. Alex, we didn't just get two new patrons in the same week. We got two female patrons on the same week, which is just... Big step. Big step. I mean, we're not... I mean, I don't think that it's, it's news to say that our audience kind of like skews towards dudes. And I think that's just because we're two guys talking. Um, yeah. So I always get a kick whenever I find out that we have... Uh, female listeners, and even more so when it's female listeners that are giving us money. 
that's just yeah. extra awesome. So, Zoe, Taylor, welcome to the Contrarian Supplements. Uh, everybody else... You shan't be disappointed. No. And uh, everybody else, just follow their their example. Yeah, $1, $3, $5, $10. That's the bargain I've been peddling for this uh, Roxena miniseries. We're doing $1. We'll get you access to all that stuff. And it'll also get you access to a whole lot of stuff, uh, enough to be a sampling of what you can get as a patron. So head over to patron.com slash Contrarian Prime. Plop down a dollar, 100 pennies, four quarters. What is that? 20 nickels, 10 dimes, what have you. It's enough that, you know, you can't even do a full load of laundry with that these days. So just throw it our way. Check it out. Like I said, it'll be a sampling of what's there. And once you're done looking that all over, you're just going to be curious as to what's next. We're like a freemium game. You know, you think you're it's like tapped out or some shit. You think you're satisfied with what you have, but you just need more and more and more because you're going to think to yourself, holy shit, these guys have never done an episode on my girl. So <laughs> I'm about to change that. Uh, but to all our current patrons, thank you so much. It's quite humbling, and we continue to churn out the content for y'all. Now, before we go into real talk, like we did in the last episode, uh, and I will do every episode from now on until day of the event, Livestream for the Cure 2022 edition, we will be part of it. And you will too, because you love us and you want to help us fight cancer. We will be raising money for cancer research on May 21st, 4 p.m. Central Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Content of our segment, TBD. I mean, Alex and I have uh, have talked about it a little bit. We're still just kind of narrowing down what we're going to do. But it will be a lot of fun like it's been the past few years. As the date gets closer, we'll have all the information available for you. But right now, what you need to know is Saturday, May 21st, 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, block that hour. Just mark your calendars. Make sure you're available to to watch us live stream uh, that day. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, if you've been there with us in the past, you know how much fun that day is. So uh, if you haven't, You'll get to experience it for the first time. So keep your ears to the ground. What's the expression? We'll keep you apprised on the details. Keep an eye on our Twitter account or an ear out uh, in our episodes for upcoming details. And what better way to transition to real talk than by playing a promo for the live stream for The Cure? Here it is. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for The Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. Alex, it's time. We did the patron pitch. We did the live stream pitch. It's time mm. for the real talk pitch. RTP. <laughs> uh, not much of a pitch. Just uh, I think the 
the easiest way from you know to soothe my conscience or ego or whatnot uh and to allow our australian listeners to unclench their chests yeah this good movie <laughs> I, I enjoyed it had a good time uh julio i knew this movie the name of this was familiar i, I knew it and when it started like five minutes in i was like oh yeah i saw a few years ago at the zach downtown a, um, a theater production of this oh so it's um yeah have you ever been to the zach no no but uh well, you mentioned that it was it been adapted to a musical, and I didn't realize that you were that was your way of telling me I've seen that musical. Well, I didn't want to give that out in the first portion. I didn't want to lead with that because I didn't want that to. We we got to keep in we got to keep our shtick up in the first half right. of our show here in part one. Uh, but yeah, I realized really quickly. I was like, oh yeah, I saw a production of this a few years ago. So really, um, for those that don't know the Zach, I I don't even know its full name how much of a loser loser local i am but there's a performing arts theater downtown austin over off um lamar just uh south of downtown um, very intimate venue it's a it's unlike any other theater i've been in because the seats are so um the way they're arranged is you, you can, you're so close to the stage it's it's really cool so i have experience with this story and i remember that production being very uh very impressive, very good, very catchy. A lot of a lot of the music uh, from the movie was used in the production itself, and so I have familiarity with it. Um, yeah, it's it's good stuff. I think the Hugo Weaving specifically is pretty good in this. Like I said, Guy Pierce uh, has some moments of really good acting, and I think his character learns the most. At the same time, it's um, I think it's been well established that Guy Pierce and uh, Terrence Stamp are good actors. So, like with Hugo Weaving, I'm just so used to him in a supernatural science fiction type setting, uh-huh. you know, that like seeing him in something, especially a character like this, uh, you know, drag queen who has a kid and a wife, and uh, it's he he knocks it out of the park. It's a interesting piece of business. It's long. It's a bit too long. It's only an hour and 45 minutes, but it feels every second of it. But uh, that's my surface level review. Julio, um, thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, two thumbs up. Uh, I love this movie. It was so much fun. Uh, On my end, I I found that Guy Pearce was a revelation for me. Uh, Just because I don't think I've ever seen him be this carefree, this just happy (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I think of of Guy Pierce. He and, is like a brooding, you know, yep, like a moody actor. That's a good call. Yeah, he's you know the guy from Memento, the guy from uh, L.A. Confidential, even uh, like the bad guy from Iron Man Three. He's <laughs> he's the bad guy in Lawless. Come on, man, Prometheus. <laughs> well, that doesn't count. Ridley Scott is a real bad guy in that one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, to see him here, so uh, just out there, just so expressive and just so full of energy, it was. Uh, I, I I couldn't get enough of it. I, I was so happy. I was like, all right, front runner for the Embry in 2022 right away, and and that applies to the entire movie. I mean, everybody is really good, but just like you had, it's only the th- that was only his third film that he did. Yeah, see, I always thought that. 
uh, LA Confidential was the movie that had kind of that was his big break. Mm-hmm. But but no, I mean I remember Priscilla uh, from the Oscars from that year, like right? uh, so it would have been ninety five, right when when it was nominated, and yeah. uh, I remember the the clip, like I I didn't know who Hugo Weaving was at the time, but I remember when they announced. Uh, Best costume design, you know, they use the clip of Hugo Weaving uh, when he's rehearsing on his own and he's wearing the the green dress and uh, mm-hmm. he's just like on top of one of the hills or whatever and he's like dancing. And That's like one of my favorite parts just because he's so, it's just very organic. I'm sorry to mean to cut you off. No, but it's it, it's memorable and that's the thing. Like I didn't know what the movie was about. I, I didn't, I'm pretty sure I didn't even know what a drag queen was at the time. I was just like, wow, there's this dude dressed in an awesome costume <laughs> that's what is this you know and i'm sure at the time i thought you know the, the title priscilla queen of the desert i mean it just sounds so exotic so uh i it just stuck with me and i don't think that i knew what it was about until much later when i heard about the american remake and uh, and i'm like oh, okay i get it now it's it's a road trip uh it's it's three drag queens on a road trip but yeah, so it's it's always been in my mind as as a movie. Like I knew what it was, but also you know who knows if Ryan hadn't made us watch it now, who knows how long it would have taken me to get around to it if if I ever did. Mm-hmm. So I am I'm very happy that uh, our hand was forced. Yes, it was. I, I had a blast. Yes, yeah, so I'm curious Ryan's thoughts, but uh, why don't we use his? He said he sent an email in. Yes, he did. Uh, so, okay. so we have a few quotes, and we have his email. Which was, one do you want to do first? I was about to say let's uh, let's use his as the the end the the wrap up for our uh, quotes here. So, what were the? You said you were only able to find one rotten review on this. There's one rotten review, and then I grabbed a couple of uh, fresh quotes that are uh, what do you call them? Uh, Compl salts. Compl salts. Yes. So the rotten one is from Rita Kempley from the Washington Post, who says writer director Stephen Elliott is obviously fond of his characters, and this may account for the upbeat storyline, but it blinds him to how very annoying two hours of dishing can be. Uh, I don't think it's two hours of dishing though, and even if no. it was, I think that I would, I find the characters funny enough that I wouldn't mind if this was just like the sort of a Kevin Smith movie of just. Three drag queens on a road trip just talking about pop culture or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I thought that there was a lot more to it than just dishing. Um, Christopher Knoll from filmcritic.com, uh, this is a fresh quote, for sheer camp value, Priscilla is a lot of fun, even if it has next to nothing to say. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was... A, like what two episodes ago we were talking about semi pro and how there's nothing wrong with mac and cheese, and yeah, this is delicious mac and cheese. Well, also, I'm sorry, nothing to say. Uh, that's not entirely true. There's still an incredibly oppressive society out there that ostracizes and um harms people that are different than them, and I think that's called out in this movie. So it doesn't pose the solution to that problem. But I think that's very short-sighted to say this movie doesn't say anything. If nothing else, if nothing, it says to you there's still problems afoot. And it's unbelievably depressing that it's potentially more applicable 30 years later than it was then. Yeah, I actually... that is uh, to be fair, I wasn't a rounder of conscious mind in 1994 or even until like 
2004 uh but <laughs> it's you know shit seems pretty bad right now yeah and i think that they they're probably mistaking i mean i don't know christopher noel feel free to to reach out and uh elaborate <laughs> we are the contrarians at gmail.com yes uh I think that it's it's tempting to say that it has nothing to say because it's so like fluffy and fun, right? And it doesn't really like dig deep into the dramas of you know into all the conflict. It kind of like hints at them, but then every problem in this movie is overcome very easily. But I have no problem with that because the movie is very entertaining. Mm-hmm. I agree that it also it kind of misses the point that just by existing like it's mere existence it's is a statement that that says something even outside of you know the plot of the movie or what the characters are doing it's just the fact that it's a a great crowd pleaser starring three drag queens as as the protagonists like that that was a a stance in 1994 and it's most certainly a stance right now like i was watching this movie and especially when you get to the end and the little kid is driving away with a with the two drag queens and then helping them in their show. And I'm thinking half of Texas. Okay. Well, let's not say half of Texas. Uh, let's be optimistic and say a third of Texas would be just so appalled at this happy ending, you know, and they would just be horrified at the fact that this little kid is being perverted and that being inducted into this lifestyle that doesn't fit the, the conservative views. So even if, if the movie is nothing but just, these characters having fun, having a good time, the fact that it's there for people to watch and for people to appreciate, I think that it's just, that gives it more importance than just its sheer camp value, as uh, Christopher Knoll says. But who knows, you know, that was 1994, so maybe Mr. Knoll feels differently now. I would hope so. He's going to write Stephen Elliott an apology note. Like, I missed the point, and then the world went to hell. <laughs> Uh, let's close with Dizon Thompson from the, also from the Washington Post who says it's a cute trio but like the tour bus the movie suffers engine failure after a while and uh, without getting into like a lot of detail yet Alex but you you did say that you felt the runtime after a while uh, do you remember mm-hmm. when was it that you kind of started to feel the lag uh, the the ending like the, when they do the finally musical number uh, I wasn't particularly kidding in the first half uh, in Contrarian's Corner that 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 should have been the ending for me. That kind of felt like, you know, the original Walter Mitty climax credits. Let's go. Because <laughs> that, that felt like the payoff was his son seeing him there. And uh, I'm never going to complain about a situation in which I get to listen to an ABBA song. Uh, it's just that the I found that to be a trifle bit unneeded, not even unnecessary. Just it wasn't needed. Um, but. You know, the people who love this movie would probably argue that that's what put it over the top is it, it kind of feels like an encore uh, from the, the group performing. So, uh, but yeah, the runtime didn't start to hit me until the last 10 minutes. Okay. So that that's when the engine failed for you. Yes. <laughs> Bob had to come and like give it a little tune up. Um, all right. And now yeah. let's move on to Ryan's email. I, I love Ryan because, you know, we've, we talk about him. We, if you've listened to any of the episodes, uh, that Ryan and Bartek have been in, uh, or if you've listened to their show, whether we were on an episode or not, you know, you know how Ryan talks. So the fact that he opens mm-hmm. his, uh, his email with a very respectful hello, comma, and that he closes it with kind regards, it just... <laughs> yeah, that's I, out, out of the ordinary. Yeah, I find it very, very amusing. I almost feel like he was writing from like his, his work email, 
and this is just his uh his template <laughs> and then he just filled it out he filled it out with his uh, priscilla thoughts but uh he says, hello, hope that you guys enjoyed Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and what Aussie cinema can offer up to you. This is a true classic and staple of Australian cinema and a film that throughout my whole life was always described as, in quotations, a great film. I saw Priscilla in my early teens, but in a way I had experienced it earlier because of how much iconography from the film has bled over into other works and into real life. Growing up, I was always told by my family, friends, media, and the overall consensus that this was a great film, which of course meant it had hype to live up to. Much to my shock, it managed to overcome the hype late for it, because I do very much enjoy it, and every time I watch it, I fall under the spell and charm of the movie. To me, Australian entertainment is at its greatest when doing a tonal juggling act and managing not to drop all the balls that are in the air. Many of my favorite Aussie films can manage to drastically swing from comedy to tragedy, light to dark, sweet to bitter, uplifting to harrowing, and Priscilla does just that. You are sucked in and enjoying the fun, goofy road trip film that is presented to you, but then it will crash you back down to earth and confront you with the dramatic reality that would also happen from this idea. Overall, I think the strength of the film is that it doesn't shy away from the dramatic elements that would be present from the pitch, but also it doesn't forget to be a joyous time as well. Kind regards, Ryan Sublewinski. Um, Agreed. I, I agree. And I've had that problem before, not just with Australian cinema, just with movies, some movies in general, sometimes like indie movies, right? Because I think that once you get into the the big studio productions, uh, studios are more eager to just kind of get their hands in and kind of streamline the tone of a movie. Uh, but mm-hmm. but lower budget uh, productions, they have more freedom when it comes to that. And that means that the filmmakers, in my opinion, they take bigger swings when it comes to tone. And sometimes that works, mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I think it works in this one. You know, I put on uh, my contrarian's hat in contrarian's corner and I was complaining about the the dramatic moments in the in Priscilla, but I mean, now that we're in real talk, I, I I think that they work. It never gets ugly enough to where it would really uh, take me out of the movie. You know, like yeah, that scene where where uh, Guy Pierce is beaten up, it walks right up to that line, and then things get lightened up again, and and mm-hmm. and then it's okay. Like if if that had gone a little further, then I would probably think back on Priscilla as like, oh, that's a great movie that has a really nasty scene and that would, you know, dampen my my excitement for it. But that's that's I think that's like the hardest that it goes. Like the 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 biggest example of that and it it wasn't a problem for me. Like the, how did you feel about the the tonal shifts throughout the movie? I would agree with what you're saying. The AIDS fuckers go home or whatever they the townspeople paint on their bus is pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah, it's like anything we talk about. It's sad. It's a sad state of affairs. And But what this movie does is its main characters consistently put on a brave face. And not even a brave face. One of just like comfort in knowing who they are and not really caring about the judgment around them. Which I think is a good message too. Because sadly, there will always be hate or questioning or you know just people that don't understand people that aren't exactly like them. So I think this message, uh, I think the the message this movie perpetuates of like being confident in who you are is really is as important as to showing like the the negative side of it all. Um, but to your point, as far as the movie goes, it does a really good job of showing the negative aspects and you know the positive you know 
being yourself aspects. And then when it does turn bad, like you said, it doesn't go into like, this is really uncomfortable to watch and it's kind of ruining my experience with this movie. It just kind of brings you down to earth, uh, in a, in a good cinematic way. And then it doesn't just like, you know, Oh, snap of the fingers. I I picked a dandelion. So everything's back to normal now. It, (laughs) it does a really good job of like, you know, using the analogy of like when we edit the podcast, you have to fade in and out the fading effects in this movie of fading in and out of tones is very well done. It, it gives enough time and uh, the right amount of energy around it to comfortably take you from one mood to another. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, I just thought of that. Another moment that had me kind of on the edge of my seat where I'm like, Oh man, what's Is this where the movie loses me? Is this where they go too far? It's when uh, Adam, when the guy Pierce is having his flashback because they each, each character gets one flashback, sort of to yes. like their origin story. And Adams yes. is like the his uh, perverted uncle is taking a bath, and he asks him to come in and like stick his hand in the bath water. And that you know, it, I was in pins and needles. It's framed like a very upsetting after school special, but then it turns into like a joke because he was smarter than his uncle type thing. Yeah, yeah. So that was again, that was a big swing, and it it absolutely works. Uh, so that's. I agree. I, I really like the, the the movie. I, I and I like that uh, how he how they handle that the you know the back and forth between this is a very complex situation. There's a very complex existence uh, when you are you know you're an outsider, but it manages to also celebrate all the good things that come from it and the you know the uh, enjoy the victories that they get along the way. And I I think that it's not just that that they're you know the movie makes a case for just how good it is to be confident on you know yourself but also to to have people surrounding you that can uh that you can lean on when you when that confidence falters like i think that at different points during the movie the characters take turns losing that confidence but then when that happens the other two are there to boost them up and so when hugo weaving needs a pep talk then he has uh, terrence stamp and when terrence stamp needs a pep talk then he has hugo weaving and and even the uh, the character of Guy Pierce, who's a little more you know immature and more of a just a pain in the ass, he also is there to kind of like be supported and offer support. So uh, it was just wonderful, like that, just to have those those characters and and they really feel like I, I bought their friendship and I bought mm-hmm. their 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 pain and their joy and. I don't know what I was expecting when I sat down to watch this movie. Uh, th- that was the thing, because I, I didn't have, you know, I knew that, that they had a history with the Oscars. I knew there had been a, an American remake, but it could have gone, like, I watched, uh, I think it was last year, I finally watched uh, Muriel's Wedding. And I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast before, but, you know, that's a, a Paul Hogan movie. It's not an Australian movie. Uh, that was the one that, that was uh, Tony Collette's big, breakaway vehicle mm-hmm. and uh it was uh you know now that that ryan has described australian cinema at its best when it's juggling those tones like there's a lot of that in that movie i think that movie's sadder than this one ultimately like the character that tony collette is playing is just very very sad and uh, there's there's a lot of comedy but there's also a lot of really 
dark moments throughout the movie and those are like much darker than anything that happens in in priscilla or at least you know because of how far they go and uh i remember watching that movie and having that feeling of like i don't know where this is going i don't know how this is gonna go because i know that they can they can take bigger swings and i knew that the story could go you know down a really dark pathway at any point and that was the same thing here i'm like what am i getting into when i'm watching priscilla queen of the desert so it was kind of a relief and a surprise that it was just this this crowd pleaser <laughs> i had a good time with the music the performances the all the the comedy bits which reminds me how do you feel about now that we're in real talk how do you feel about the about bob's wife too much or just enough uh it you want to talk about bordering on the edge like that character had been in the movie for 10 more seconds. I might've been like, eh, <laughs> but you know, I always use the, the, as Johnny Knoxville said, a little bit of rattlesnake venom will get you. And, um, to me, it feels innocent enough. It just teeters on like that character. So annoying just because of how obnoxious they are that too much more use of them would have been grating. But I think it's funny and kind of, it, what's true, the whole thing of like, you know, these drag queens think they're hardened in the, the ways of, you know, the underground show business. And then they see this and they're just absolutely like stunned. That's always like <laughs> when it comes to, you know, show business or even just like, you know, if you're thinking of depravity that you've seen in your life there'll always be something more shocking it's the, the whole internet principle at this point like the most <laughs> fucked up thing you've ever seen it's not going to take you know if you try hard enough you'll find something else or you know this the idea of the most shocking thing you've seen is tamed by other people's standards it, it's just kind of a fun and you know i used the word genuine earlier to describe some of it it's a very authentic moment and their reactions are so perfect and i'm not a drag queen but i've been at gentlemen's establishments and had similar reactions to some of the things that have gone on <laughs> or you got on stage you thought you'd made an impression and then somebody came on stage and completely uh, overshadowed your performance that's right it's not what happened but yeah <laughs> uh yeah i think that the 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 payoff ultimately is worth the build-up because when she when she gets up on stage I guess I wasn't expecting her to be talented at all. You know, I thought that the reason that Bob was trying to keep her away was because she was, uh, she just didn't have a talent. or something. Yeah, exactly. But then she gets there and she's actually a pretty good dancer. And then, you know, she has, she has a hidden talent. (laughs) So it, it, it worked for me. I had, and you're right. And then she's gone. You know, it's not like she Mm -hmm. sticks around and becomes part of the cast. So that, that was just the right amount of, uh, of outlandish wife now uh, the the music because you're you're always a, a strong proponent of uh you know killer soundtracks or road trip movies uh i knew that the big hits here you know mm-hmm. i will survive uh mamma mia there's another abba song i think that they sing at some point and then that that song at the end like the climax like i was familiar with it but there was i would say maybe 50 percent of the soundtrack i was not familiar with uh was that was that your experience, or were you a little more into the the songs here? No, yeah, it was it it fits the bill of a road trip movie with the when in regards to the soundtrack. Uh, yeah, they had that village people song that played when they were like getting ready to go. And- 
Yeah, there was. A, I wasn't really ever lost at any point in this. Um, yeah, they definitely parcel out the bangers accordingly, though. I like the the, the musical performances a lot. I, I thought that they were just very uh, energetic and also the right amount of um, like they were good, but they were not like mind blowingly good as far as you know what I mean. Like you could buy that they were just the, like they were average performers. I never felt that they where uh, like I wasn't seeing like I don't know Travolta and Uma Thurman dancing in Pulp Fiction or something, you know, you know what I mean? Like they were they were good performers, mm-hmm. but they were not great performers. And I I don't think that that was a, a a failing of the movie. I think that they were just showing us, you know, your your standard uh, artist. Not they weren't meant to be like oh these these people deserve better. No, they're just like you know the kind of drag queen that just performs at a bar and gets like moderate success but it's not a superstar because i think that there could have been the temptation and i wonder if the if the the remake the american remake goes this way of making those uh musical numbers more elaborate just kind of when did this remake come out i guess i wasn't aware there was a oh it's oh man turn of the millennium like i want to say 98 99 maybe it's called uh two one foo it stars uh, Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes, and maybe John Leguizamo. Uh, yeah, I. So I don't think this is. I know what movie you're referring to. I don't think that movie is a direct port of Priscilla. Uh, I think it's just it kind of borrowed the idea of it. I mean, it says. Is, okay, so I found it, and it is. 1995, Jesus, right away. Uh, three drag queens travel cross-country until their car breaks down, leaving them stranded in a small town. Uh, that's actually uh, a lot like Priscilla. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, Wesley Ooh, Snipes. Dr. Channing's in it. <laughs> Wesley Snipes plays Noxima. Patrick Swayze plays Vita. And John Leguizamo plays Chichi. Yeah, that's, that's American shit right there. America's sweetheart Jason London, isn't it? <laughs> Playing Bobby Ray. Chris Penn, R.I.P. <laughs> hey, I hope Chris Penn is the guy. He, he plays Bob. <laughs> He's the guy. Um, Tim Curry was originally uh, penned for the lead of Mitzi. Turned it down. Back when this film was released, certain Hollywood types still clung to the belief that playing a gay character on screen would basically be committing career suicide. Given that within a relatively few years, all three leads, Weaving, Pierce, and Stamp, would not only survive, but they would flourish in superhero-type projects like Smallville. I didn't realize uh, Terrence Stamp was on that. Uh, We talked about the Matrix and Lord of the Rings trilogies. Oh, fuck, that's right. Hugo Weaving is in uh, the MCU. He's a Red Skull. He is. And so is Guy Pierce. You mentioned Iron Man mm-hmm. 3 earlier. Proving that belief is no longer the case. <laughs> but I think that, well, I don't know. I don't know. Like, now it's, you know, we're at a stage where if you were to uh, to make a movie like Priscilla, you would just cast drag queens at this point. Like I think that that is the, the where we are, you know, industry wise. You wouldn't just get straight actors to play drag queens. You would just get drag queens to play the drag queens. Mm. 
Yeah, I think I, I'm certainly not going to speak for the trans community or anyone in the LBGTQ community of, um, you know, what's right and wrong in regards to that. But I think for the most part, like Jared Leto, since he did took the role so seriously, I think, I don't know, maybe prove that you could cast someone as you know, if you have the right talent to do that, but yeah, to your point, if this was going to be made today, definitely there'd be a different approach about it. I mean, that's like the, that's been the, the kind of like the hot topic or one of the hot topics recently. So that's something that I thought about. I mean, yeah, they, they pumped out that remake, man, super fast, ninety five. <laughs> it's just, um, but I mean, I don't know. I'm sure that there's. Uh, yeah, I'm curious how much money it banked in Australia because I only have the numbers for america here in front of me and it the the budget was two million dollars american and the american return was 30 million dollars so so even just on those numbers yep. that's a good return and i can't yeah i don't know what it made in australia so i was surprised that there weren't as many uh, instances where the, the australian lingo threw me off which you know like like we watched getting square and that was kind of a, one of the things that was a little bit of an obstacle i i felt that the uh australian colloquialisms and the just the slang felt kind of weird like you know we we're watching somebody being like a little too quirky in this case like hardly any crikeys hardly any mateys it, it was just uh you know you could tell that they were australian like you could tell that this movie was taking place <laughs> in australia but it didn't feel like super Australian, like something uh, like Getting Square was. So, because remember, I think Chaz, after we gave Getting Square kind of a lukewarm review, he kind of ventured that maybe it was a cultural thing, right? That we that he enjoyed it more than we did because he's Australian and the movie's Australian. Uh, I think that Priscilla is more universal in that sense. Like I can, it still feels like an Australian movie, but I think it casts a wider net. I guess maybe because it's not so uh, localized to to the the country where it's from. You know what I mean? Like it, you know, they like I said, they sound Australian, but they don't sound uniquely Australian in a way. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I mean, Chaz, we we kind of told him that we were doing this movie, and he said that this was a movie that he also liked a lot. So that's good to hear. Now, if he didn't like this movie, then I wouldn't know what to make of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, so, so wait, you like, is this not Australian enough for you, Chaz? I hereby christen this budget Barbie camper Priscilla, queen of the desert. Okay, Terrence Stamp, excellent. We haven't talked about him yet. Yes. I love, I mean, I love the three characters, but yeah, he definitely had like the most going on, I think, like internally. And I like that he was... I like the contrast between him and uh, Guy Pierce, right? They were constantly at odds, and Guy Pierce is just so out there, and Turner Stamp is mostly just going internally, but he would still allow himself to have some fun. And so the every now and then we would have a sing-along while they were in the bus, and Guy Pierce is just going back and forth, you know, waving his arms and being very histrionic. And uh, Turner Stamp is just sitting there, kind of, you know, he looks all serious. But he will sing along too. Like whenever it's his, his time to sing, he will like pipe in and sing, and then oh, go yeah, back and to he'll, his... he'll put the motions on and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was so good. It's like they're still, you know, 
all three of them are performers. They they just can't help themselves in a way. Even if they're not having the greatest of times, they're still performing. Uh, and then there's that scene when uh, they Guy Pierce repurposes, I guess it's a sex doll and a and a dress and makes a kite. Yes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the the happiness on Terrence Stamp's face when the kite starts flying. You know, it just, it almost like he surprises himself by enjoying it. Uh, and then the fact, I don't know if you stuck around for the end of the credits, but uh, the fact that the kite ends up showing up again. Did you see that? I didn't know. Yeah, it just, you just see it. it. It's just this one shot of like, there's a family or something and the, the kite just falls on them. And then the dad grabs it and looks at it. And, you know, there's the sex doll <laughs> with her boobs out. That's it's tremendous. Yeah, love Terrence Stamp. I'm less familiar with his filmography, I just realized that, than I am with uh, uh, Hugo Weaving or uh, Guy Pierce. Like, I know Superman 2, I know uh, The Limey, I know Yes Man, I know Star Wars. Uh, I was about to say, Phantom Menace. Yeah, but but that's it. And, you know, it's, uh, it's small roles in two of those. But I know him as kind of an icon, you know, as like, Terrence Stamp. Everybody knows Terrence Stamp. It's funny because in '94, when this movie was released, he would have been the big, the big name, right? Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I you said that they offered uh, the Hugo Weaving role to Tim Curry, and that to me mm-hmm. might have just just shifted the power dynamic a little too much. If you, if you have Tim Curry as as the main character. Well, you got caught with a flat world. How about that? I think it it works really wonderfully here because, like I said, in Contreras Corner, in a way, they're all on the same level. <laughs> uh, if you have Tim Curry there, then you have definitely an alpha. Uh, especially because he, you know, even in 94, Tim Curry carries just so much baggage from all his other performances like it's good baggage but it's still baggage so uh, i don't know i i think that this movie works best like this even even though i come with you know my own preconceptions of what hugo weaving and guy pierce and uh terrence stamp are like it didn't really get in the way of my enjoyment in a way of i think if i saw tim curry i'll be like oh yeah this is fun but this is i know what to expect this is tim curry playing uh a, a drag queen and that you know, might not be too far removed from what he does in uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, for example. Yeah. From transsexual <laughs> Which again, you know, the, takes me back to the This American remake because it's different when you have actors that are more well-known at the time, like Louis Guzamo, Wesley Snipes, and... Uh, and Patrick Swayze, I guess part of the fun is to see them as drag queens, but again, they're bringing an image like Wesley Snipes. I mean, it's mostly still today, like he's mostly known as, I think, an action actor, mm-hmm. right? And so, I don't know, just an interesting, it's a different approach to how they, they handle the casting. Well, whatever the case, you can add it to the list. You can add it to Contrarian's canon of films that were represented at the 1995 Academy Awards. Who were they competing against on uh, Best uh, Costume Design? They won, as I called out, for Best Costume Design. Uh, but they were competing against Bullets Over Broadway, Little Women, uh, Maverick, and Queen Margot. Uh, I haven't seen Queen Margot. I've seen all the others. 
uh, I'm glad that they won. This, the costumes here, I mean, of course, that is, you know, it lends itself to being just exotic and extravagant. And uh, Oh, yeah. The famous flip-flop dress that Hugo Weaving wears when they get to that town, uh, a lot of people think that was one of the pieces of wardrobe that helped them win the Oscar. It only cost $7 for the costume department to put together. Amazing. (laughs) Stretching your penny, baby. Yep. Give him an Oscar. And the Oscar goes to Lizzie Gardner and Tim Chappell for the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. All right. So for myself, I think I'm going to go with a a solid B on this one. Um, Like I said, just really enjoyed it. It was an easy watch. It was a fun watch. Um, and I'm glad we got to break the curse of the Australians. So uh, <laughs> they're back in our good graces now. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go with four stars. I just had a fantastic time. It was just what I needed after a very uh, stressful Oscar ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> it was... No, it, it was just good. It was... You know, I don't want to go repeat too much of what we said on the semi-pro episode and they're very different movies but it's just one of those things where when you have a a comedy a crowd pleaser that just does what it needs to do and it does it well then sometimes that's all you need and i didn't need anything more from this movie this what they you know i just needed guy pierce hugo weaving and terrence stamp to just be be drag queens and have fun and they you know they to get on stage and sing and dance and be silly tease each other and every now and then kind of like touch base with humanity and then have a happy ending and that's what i got yeah i'm very happy with this pick ryan you you did it you son of a bitch you did it (laughs) you done good kid (laughs) all right julio so what is up next up next so the there's a there's a number of ways to get us to do a movie, Alex. Most notably, and as we've mentioned before, you can just be a patron, and you know mm-hmm. that th- there's a pretty straightforward way of doing it. Less straightforward way of doing it is uh, sending us a DVD of a movie you want us to cover, <laughs> which is well, I'd argue it's a it's a far more straightforward, but albeit unconventional way of doing it. Yes, I mean, I don't know, you know, you know like that's, I feel like that is. You're right. It's a more straightforward approach. I just feel like it's like instantly I, my thoughts go to the, the custody of the baby. You know what I mean? Like th- now there's a DVD of this movie that we're going to cover uh, on the next episode. And when all it's said and done, that DVD has to go somewhere. And granted, I haven't seen the it's movie true. yet and you haven't either, but I kind of get the feeling there's going to be like a hot potato like that uh, day after tomorrow, Blu-ray that uh, you and Eddie like to pass around. Um, so what is this called, Alex? Uh, it's a, a Nicolas Cage vehicle. Yeah, I don't even know. Hold on. I keep wanting to say The Leftovers, but that is an amazing TV show. Left Behind. There you go. Uh, and for the the backstory on what we're explaining, how this was sent to us, you'll have to tune into the episode for it. But yeah, Blu-ray was sent with a note requesting we cover this on the podcast. Uh have we done a zero percenter before? No, we've done a hundred percenter, but we haven't done a zero percenter. <laughs> well, making history here on the Contrarians is the 2014 action thriller Left Behind. Good God, it's almost two hours long. <laughs> it's 
starring Nicolas Cage and Chad Michael Murray coming soon to a contrarian's, uh, coming soon to a podcatcher near you. <laughs> well, that is sure. Why not? That's that's what's happening next. Uh, there's uh, like I think we teased last episode. We we have our summer plans in place, and uh, uh, patrons will get to hear the the behind the scenes discussion about that, and and the rest of you will find out soon enough. But uh, yeah, immediate future left behind with uh, Sir Nicholas Cage and Sir. A tomato meter score of a tomato search and Michael Murray. Tomato meter zero percent. Audience score of two <laughs> percent. Good lord! Why not? I mean, we've we've had a good run of movies the last three at least. So it's, it's true. It's time to go down into the muck again. Hopefully that sounds as enticing to you guys as it does to us. It'll be interesting. Yes. Uh, but that's that's coming down the line. Uh, Alex, get us out of here. All right. Moving into our perennial plugs, we'll start by giving a thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rogbieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, on our merch page. Uh, if it has a tomato holding a mirror, uh, odds are pretty high that Hans is the man behind it. Uh, he is a very talented uh, artist. He's also a writer and a podcaster, like we mentioned. His shows are uh, Marginal, which is about economy, and Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs. You can check out his work on his website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. Or you can reach him on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com. Hans, thank you for all your support. And thank you to Ms. Zoe Perez, who helps keep our social media game in line. Looking fresh and pretty uh zoe what she'll do for us is put together some videos if you're on facebook be sure to go to facebook.com slash contrarian prime give us a like a follow a subscription whatever it is on facebook but she puts together some uh videos that uh, preview upcoming episodes that we have those are exclusive to our facebook page and then also helps run our instagram account if you're on instagram be sure to follow us at contrarian prime zoe posts audio clips uh, interactive graphics bunch of good looking stuff that julio and i uh, probably wouldn't be able to pull off as seamlessly so zoe we appreciate all the effort uh you put forth for us and the work you do for us uh, and it feels appropriate since this was a patron pick to once again thank all our patrons out there and specifically ryan for bringing this across the contrarians desk but with all that out of the way that is going to wrap up this episode of the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time I can't go on.